Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hope Mindful Compassion Show. My name is Paul Garrigan and I look after the mindfulness program here at Hope. My name is Hank Nahl and I'm the head counsellor at Hope Rehab. So Hank, I, I heard you were interviewed recently for Dutch Media and you were, what were you talking about with them? Um, yeah, that's correct. We had a Dutch uh, journalist coming over and uh, he walked with me for two weeks to see um, what I'm doing and how much my life uh, has changed. It's someone I knew from uh, my past. Um, uh, actually, uh, 20 years ago we've even used drugs together. Um, but now uh, we went in our own directions 20 years ago. or And now we got in contact again. And while we were talking, he thought like, hey, the change I've been through uh, might be quite interesting to write about because I'm going. I went from being a hopeless drug addict to to working in a treatment center. I bet, and he would have known that he did. He did he mention the change that he'd seen in you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he knows me from my drug using period, and yeah, like most addicts, I was also in chaos. And did he give any examples of the ways you've changed? Uh, yes. And he also gave examples how I was behaving during my drug use. Yeah. Go on, tell us. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking which one to say. I have one example coming up. We're not easily shocked, probably. Um, um, this is quite hard for me, though, actually. Um, we knew each other. We had uh, three shared friends. And they died in a car accident. Um very sad mm -hmm. and then the, after that we went into a different direction and after that happened it had a huge impact in our friends group and a lot of things happened and, and not just with me also with other people so um, I can't really say they're funny stories but, but the, and a lot of things happened big things how did you react to that I mean did you did, you, did that make your drug problem worse um, well it did have uh, an impact. It was in a period a lot of things happened actually uh, emotionally within my family, uh, within my friends. Uh, I was already using drugs for years, it was when I was 21. I was already using drugs for a uh, long time, for many years. And this, all the different events really accelerated my drug use. Yeah. And I suppose the transformation, I mean, would be that, you know, if the same thing happened now, it would probably be the reactions, wouldn't it? The way you react to these things happening to you. Would that be fair to say? Um, I'm sorry, could you please repeat? Well, well, I, suppose, <laughs> well, I suppose some of the things wouldn't, wouldn't even happen now, but I mean, I suppose one of the big transformations that, that we can have is that we react to things differently. Yeah, yeah, I totally react uh, different to heavy situations, but... Even now, when I hear someone I care for died, mm. um, it's still my first response is I have to use. Yeah. And but now I developed a very strong second response, and that's much stronger than the first response. And that's uh, doing all the things I've learned in recovery and talking to people, sharing it, saying to people how I feel, uh, going to meetings, calling my sponsor, calling my recovery friends. So I have a really strong. Uh, second response, but still. But that's, hold on, that's an that's an amazing transformation. So before it's like you know you're just being carried along by these habitual kind of you know habitual ways of doing things, and now 
you know that that comes up, but you're not. You have this power now not to not to go along with it. That you can sort of you know you can sort of stop it. You can stop this habitual response. I mean that's it. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. And I had to learn it in in early recovery. In, in the first six months after treatment, uh, five of my peers died, and one was in a coma. Um, so that had a huge impact on me. And. I was still in an emotional roller coaster, very vulnerable after long treatment, going to the home situation, and then having to deal with those things, um, crying, and then calling and keep calling all my other friends, yeah, my recovery friends, my good friends, and keep sharing it. And after every phone call, I got a little bit calmer because there's nothing they can do, basically. Mm-hmm. And they, they can just listen and be there for me. But I could see I, after the eighth, per, per, the eighth call or the ninth call, I was so much more calmer than, than the first call, just to vent and say how it is. And I learned to get through things without using. And when I was, gosh, how old was I? I wasn't too long back from treatment, I think 30, 31. Um, One of my friends in Holland died, a good friend, Ruben. And it had a huge impact on me, huge impact. A lifelong friend. Um, And it was family, his brothers, his, uh, yeah. And before I went to the funeral, I called all the people I knew from the meetings and my recovery friends I knew from the treatment center and I told them, I said, okay, this is when the funeral is, um, I have to go there. Uh, and if I'm going to relapse, it's going to be after that funeral, so please, if I call, pick up the phone because I'm, I'm going to be on the verge of picking up again. So I built, before I went to the funeral, I built the whole network, they were all informed. If one wouldn't pick up, I would have like five more people I could call. And then I went to the funeral, and of course, it's giving me goosebumps now. Um, when I went to the funeral, it had a huge impact uh, on me, very emotional um, to be there. Um, um, but I didn't use after that, and I was okay. And that moment. But did, was, the, did that kind of urge come up? Like you were expecting it to? No. No, and and probably knowing that I had a huge uh, safety uh, mechanism prepared, uh, that probably helped. Um, But after the funeral, in the days after, I realized if I can get through this, I can get through almost anything life will throw at me. It it gave me a lot of confidence also, like, hey, I got through it uh, and I didn't use and and I can handle a whole lot you know one thing I you know that, that reminds me of um, and this is my own experience of kind of transforming things transforming is that, you know, and this is what I kind of tell the clients as well it's like so say you know there's, there's some kind of bad response I have what, what starts to happen is so you know that, that bad response can continue can continue can continue until one time I start to kind of notice it and I'm aware of it and what happens like so that's that that bad response still comes, but now there's a kind of choice involved, involved with it. And so I started like, choosing not to go with that response until eventually that response itself just falls away. Well, would that be kind of your experience? Yeah, yeah. And then the way I explain it to my clients is you have pathways, like certain highways in your brain, and you've always 
been teaching yourself like when you have heavy emotions you can use and those pathways will always be there but we do have the capacity to create new pathways and every time you walk over the new pathway they get stronger and stronger and then like creating a groove in, in the brain and your, yeah. your behavior almost yeah, yeah. exactly and so every time I did not use in an emotional situation but did the right thing, I created my new path and then made it stronger over time. And and my old path still be there and it will always be there. And how long was that after you you got clean? Uh, I think it was uh, in my first year. Yeah. And would you would you sort of say that that was the first time that you you really noticed that you were becoming a different person? Or was there kind of evidence before that? Uh, there was evidence before that actually and uh, I uploaded uh, a video in the Hope Aftercare um, that was about that. I think I spoke uh, about it uh, in, in the uh, couple of years I'm at Hope with a few clients. What changed me was uh, when I started making my bed in my room and because I, I needed to change uh, from being a hopeless drug addict to, to someone in recovery. And the first thing I changed was starting to make up my bed. And I'd never done it. And every time I walked into my room, I could see I was changing because my bed was made up instead of a mess. And then that was the start of the snowball that started rolling. And then making my bed, and later I started every time I go into my room, we do five push-ups or so. Every time I walked into my room, do five push-ups. And, uh, and in treatment center, you walk quite often into your room just to have five minutes or to grab something. And uh, did, my bed was made up, and then the push-ups, and then it just started changing. But that bed was like a symbol, like, hey, I'm changing. And then it helped me to make all the other changes. This is going to be a, a, a tough question. I mean, the obvious answer is giving up drugs. But what would you sort of... Let, let's leave that aside. But what would you say is the most um, miraculous transformation that's happened for you in, in, in regards to, say, your behavior or your, your way of seeing things? What, like, what's sort of been the most significant I think my selfishness uh, and in addiction I was so selfish in, in a vast area of my life and in a huge area of my life and then it was like an onion and we had to unpeel and keep on unpeeling and, and there was selfishness in, in how I looked at myself and there was selfishness how I treated other people and there was selfishness in, in how I responded to situations and how the world needed to give me things and what I deserved and what I needed and, and it was all about me and, and even uh, one of the things I had to learn actively practicing with my counselors when I was talking to my parents on the phone just asking them hey how are you doing how are you and and not as a chore but be interested and, and hear how my parents are doing because in the years of addiction I was just offloading all my negativity on them and without it was all about me without asking them hey how are you it was just dumping all the negativity on them and, and so a lot of things uh, I had to change, yeah, yeah. even the, the lying, I just kept lying. And uh, my sponsor made me call, every time I had a lie I had to call them and tell them the truth. And uh, tell them what was the lie and what, what was the truth. And, 
but the, the selfishness was uh, a huge thing yeah yeah yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and and as for me, you know, in regards to all of this, so in regards to my addiction, in regards to my anxiety, my, my depression, at the core of all, all of it was this selfishness. And I kind of judged my progress uh, by how how less selfish I became. Because that, that selfishness, it can, it can sort of sound judgmental. Mm-hmm. You sort of say, well, well you know, you're, you know, your problem so, so until we kind of realize that selfishness is, is like being in hell mm-hmm. because it means we're always having to think about ourselves and, and happiness is when we're not thinking about ourselves you know it's those moments when kind of you know our attention can go out to the world or to other people that's when we're really kind of at our best and so yeah I absolutely you know and that's, so you couldn't have as far as I'm concerned you couldn't have picked a better transformation than yeah, the selfishness yeah. And, and even in a conversation with uh, people, listening to what someone is saying, what someone is saying, instead of while the other person is talking, I'm thinking what I'm going to say as soon as the other person stops talking. Yeah? And then so self-absorbed, like no interest in what you're saying, it's just... Okay, I have to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. So you're quite well known here for your long pauses with clients. Is that is that something that's come new, or was that something you would have been doing before before again addiction? No, I started doing it in the in treatment. Yeah, yeah. In in when I started helping people, because people would sort of say, "Oh, Hank, he's a really good listener." Would people have said that that about you when you were in active addiction? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's really the opposite. In in a. I think I hope to say in all my behaviors, or probably there are a few behaviors I'm not aware of, but I had to make a 180 degree turn on all my behaviors and instead of always talking and not listening. Now, especially in my kind of success, I try to listen a lot and, and yeah, the power of silence, isn't it? Yeah, and what about normally? What about when you're just around with friends and stuff like that? Do you find you listen a lot more? Um, I do listen more. Um, but I am aware sometimes I fall in my old trap mm-hmm. and it just because you're going with the flow and you're not always aware and in a social situation it's much more loose than, than a working situation eh, where you're focused on what you're doing and, and trying to help the people go from A to B and in social situations yeah sometimes I catch myself like okay I should have done this different or I should have given yeah yeah, but when are you doing it right, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. always a bit finding the balance, like, am I selfish? Or if I not do it, am I people-pleasing? Or eh, all those things, like, yeah, what's the right balance? And do I need to assert my boundaries? Or do I need to share the love and accept that people behave different? Or eh? it, It's a bit like, yeah, well, you try to find the... the the middle way mm. but sometimes it's a bit difficult and I have to say over the years I'm much more at ease at, at how I behave and then talk to people in, in social situations it's like most addicts I mean, you just get clean you have the anxiety and the fears and the insecurity and the self-doubt and then and I'm glad to say I'm far away from that now but, but yeah sometimes I look back on things and I think like yeah was that the right thing and what would have been the right thing yeah, yeah. this is sort of slightly changing the topic well it's not really but how long have you been clean now? well that's a good question it, uh, I think I'm 
three weeks away from being seven years clean. Oh, so congratulations. The 13th of September, I'm so, going to be seven years. Fantastic. So, so here's the question. So you know when you left rehab seven years ago, are, and you had these expectations about what your life was going to be like, would you have predicted that you'd be here? Like, as in, you know, where you are in your life right now? That's a good question. There are a few things in that question that stand out for me. The first thing is my expectation of my new life. Uh, I don't think I had any expectation. Like, like it, it, today, it's like three weeks before I went into my last treatment center. You can't imagine what kind of mess I was emotionally and physically and, and mentally. I was like... The, the lowest I've ever been in my life. Hey, it's it's if I think back of that period, it really shocks me that I've been able to to live like that. So, what type of things would you have wanted leaving rehab? And that's very hard for me to remember. Sorry, leaving rehab. Yeah, what what kind of ideas would you have had for your future? Like, what would have been your kind of you know your what was the most you could dare to dream for? I don't think I, I had that actually. When, when I went into treatment, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations or so. I knew that I just couldn't live anymore the way I was living. And I had to, to change, make some big changes. Where it would lead me, I, I don't think I had a real perception of Oh, I think that's actually good then. I was like going... I had no clue where I was going or how it was going to be. I just knew I couldn't live anymore the way I was living I, I needed to do things different and, and I, I suspect that made it easier for you to transform because it's almost yeah. like a clean slate and, and I suppose what I'm getting at is it's like something I say to clients as well it's like you know they can have these very strong expectations mm. about what their life is going to be like when they leave here but the problem is those expectations are kind of coming from someone who's still kind of you know have that, a lot of um bad thinking patterns, unhelpful mm. thinking patterns, and that those expectations can actually hold them back, you know, and I remember when I, when I left Rio, I did have some ideas of what my future's going to be like, but my future's been nothing like that, and it's been so, but it's so much better, and I'm so glad, so it, it, I look back now, and it just seems, those ideas were so kind of impoverished, they weren't very, very mediocre, in that, you know, but we had this idea that our life needs to go a certain way, that could kind of get in the way of the actual transformation, couldn't it? Because that's be transformation, you know, because people get scared because they can't imagine what they're going to transform to. That's the point, isn't it? I mean, if you do, if you do have an idea about what you're going to transform to, it's not probably going to be a very helpful one. Yeah, yeah. In, in the rehabs, uh, I've done a, a few rehabs before I went to my last treatment. And, and in the first couple of rehabs, I never changed. I, I wanted to let go of my drug use, I wanted the problems to stop, but giving up drugs and alcohol was already such a sacrifice of my safety mechanism, and alcohol and drugs as safety, that I was holding on to my behavior and to my personality and this is how I am and, and I'm not going to give up my friends and all those things. And I needed to change much more. And if you look back on the first rehabs, in, in, it's not enough knowing that you need to change. It's not enough wanting to change. In order to change, we need to experience change. And, and I've never really changed. I just had a period without drugs and alcohol and, 
and relatively quick after treatment I started juicing again because I never really changed and I was really holding on to the safety of, of myself it's, it's it's so difficult to to, to let go of, of who you think you are and, and what's important for you and how you've been living your life and go in a completely different direction. It's incredibly difficult. And that's why I say giving up the drugs is easy compared to giving up the whole, you know, who we are around the drugs. That That's what keeps on sort of, you know, if it doesn't sort of bring us back, it brings us to something else very similar. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose that leads on to the question I, I was going to ask you next. I mean, do you think that some people can actually sort of, you know, achieve, say, long-term freedom from drug abuse without actually changing? I think theoretically it's possible, and I think uh, the odd person manages to do it. Uh, but it's um, they call it the dry drunk syndrome yeah. and it's oxymoron of course it's like um, but they are not drinking or using but they still behave act and, and speak as someone in addiction and and if we want happiness we need to learn more tools than, than just quitting alcohol and drugs it's just a start mm. uh, and to, to find freedom of resentments and, 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 and being able to function better in relationships and being able to have healthy relationships and to form social connections and, and to find a good level of stability in your life, we need more than just quitting alcohol and drugs. I completely agree. Yeah. But a lot of people experience resistance, yeah? resistance yeah. to change. And, and that is the resistance I've uh, had a lot of difficulties with it also and I still have actually because now I'm working with clients who experience it and r- resistant people are basically very rational actually uh, because they they put the, the cost and the benefits on the scale and according to them the, the costs are much higher than the benefits so they get into resistance to change and it doesn't really matter if their perception is faulty you know? it's just how they how they feel and, and it needs open social interaction to, to, to work themselves through it eh? because a lot of people especially addicts we do a lot of things to the extreme our self-fulfilling prophecies are so strong and we really need open social interaction and then sufficient time of doing it to work themselves through all the barriers to be able to, to work themselves through it yeah I mean going back, like, going back to that thing about you know what you said there it's like there's a, a spiritual teacher, Anthony DeMello. He was a he was actually a, a Jesuit priest, but he had this kind of big awakening. Mm. And you know, one of the things he said, he was talking about about, about therapy in general, but I think it really applies to, to rehab as well. Is that you know, most people don't actually want to change; they just want their toys fixed, like you know, fix my job, fix my marriage, fix my you know, the the the, the, the real sort of deep work of change. They're, they're not actually they don't actually want that. Mm. They just want the life they have now slightly better organized and I think as long as we kind of have that and I was the same as long as I had that kind of idea I couldn't really go forward because the problem was the life it was the whole the whole thing yeah. you know and I sometimes refer to this idea you know of cat- you never see caterpillar with wings you know to become a butterfly you have to stop being a caterpillar but you know most people seem to you know at least initially want to be a caterpillar with wings they don't want to really make that huge transformation is that your experience as well would you say it applies to most people who at least initially when they first start trying to stop drugs 
Uh, yeah, we even have a saying on, on the wall in the group room. It's like, the person I was drunk, that person will drink again. And I need a personality change and something like that. It's somewhere written there, quite small. But that personality change, it's, it's from the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to stay clean and sober? Or do you want to have a, a break in where you keep doing what you've always been doing? And... Do you have any theories about why people really, you know, why why people can find it fairly easy to let go of drugs, but you find it so hard to let go of the rest of it? Do you have any theories about why it's like that? I think it's safety. Yeah, it's 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 what we know, isn't it? Yeah, and um, humans have an incredible drive to feel safe, and yeah, it's it's one of the most important things. And then now we want to be safe in, in our behavior because we know what we get, isn't it? And, and sometimes the, the security of misery can be more attractive than the insecurity of recovery. Mm. And it's what we know, it's what we do, it's our comfort zone. And you can see it in treatment here, we constantly take people out of their comfort zone. And, and life begins at the end of your comfort zone, basically. Yes. I'm throw in a few sayings, but <laughs> it's so true. It is true, yeah. Sayings are there for a reason because they're, they're just hard truths. And change is difficult, change mm. is hard. Um, people only change if the pain of staying the same becomes bigger than the pain it is to change. And that's what I experienced before I entered my last treatment. My way of living was so painful, I was willing to jump into the deep because I didn't know how it was going to work out I didn't know how my life was going to be and at the moment sometimes I still miss the irresponsible life of the addict because now the addiction to chaos kind of thing yeah Yeah, and then sitting on the bench at 4am and then just drinking and using and having all the time in the world because you're on benefits and and Mm. you sell a bit of drugs left and right and and now I need to go to bed, I need to go to work, I need to be shaved, and I have all those responsibilities. Well, I like it, made my life much better, but sometimes I think like it's a bit like a euphoric recall, isn't yeah. it? Because it's just pain. That's the thing with addiction, it's just pain, but we tell ourselves it's pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And, and given what you just said a, a second ago in regards to, you know, this transformation, we don't know what it's going to be like, we don't know what it's going to kind of consist of. I mean, Given that that's the case, and it kind of has to be, how do clients go about making that happen? Because it, 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 it could sound to somebody, it's like you're saying, you know, you need to go to this, this destination, but we're not going to tell you where it is. And it's going to be kind of unique to you. <laughs> so how did they kind of start working towards that? Well, if they start realizing that it can only get better then we're on the right track and then we do look at it how are you going to make your recovery fun because if you get clean and sober and you're just going to sit at home in the couch and think like yeah this sucks yeah, as might as well drink again you're much more likely to rehab if, to relapse if you don't make it fun so, so we do quite some things in there and, and people need to find their own way and it's and given what you said earlier about, about selfishness and I, I completely agree with that would you say that you know the transformation almost has to involve becoming less selfish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, 
selfishness on the minds a lot, isn't it? And and selfish people attract other ill people, and because so could that be a way kind of of um, kind of judging our progress by how you know the, the fact that we're kind of less a little bit less selfish than we were say a year ago? I think for a lot of people are, mm. and, and some people have more. Um, issues and it's going to take longer and, and, and for some people they have the um, yeah it, it's a bit deeper than just the addicts uh, selfishness I can't well, what's the name I'm trying not to think of the acronym but I can't think of it um, it's a very good indicator for a lot of people how well they are doing and it's a part of, of recovery, isn't it? Becoming a bit more human again. Yeah. And, and I'd say, well, certainly if you're getting more selfish and selfish, that might sort of imply something bad is going on or you're going in the wrong direction. Some people need a bit more selfishness. If, if you are an extreme people pleaser and you constantly ignore all your wants and needs. And Would you not say sort of people pleasing might be a form of selfishness? Because it's all about getting people to like us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you put it like that, uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's all about healthy boundaries, assertiveness uh, from either way. And yeah, it's it's very complicated, and and that's why the treatment needs to be um, a lot of individual and see what what does this individual need. To, to get further in life and to start living a life that, that is happy and satisfying and and give them a purpose. Mm. In regards to, and given what we said that we can't really kind of predict it or, or whatever, given your own transformation, what, what, kind, what kind of things would you like to be there in another seven years? What kind of things? So what kind of transformation? So obviously the transformation probably hasn't, isn't going to end now. So if you were to kind of have some say in, you know, just kind of playing around with this as what you're going to be like in another seven years, what, what kind of, like where, where can you sort of see that going? That's a really good question. Where do I see myself in seven years? My girlfriend asked me a while ago, actually, and I didn't really know how to answer it. Um, I don't have a whole lot of perception of, of the future. I, I'm working at hope. I'm happy. I, I have a stable life. I, I got a lovely girlfriend. I got. Uh, I, I live in a, in a house that's fine for me. I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm happy. Where would I be in seven years? Is a really good question. But in regards to kind of not not, not so much the external things, mm-hmm. but in regards to sort of say so say that you know the the selfishness would, would you sort of say that will be would you imagine that that would be sort of even less and even more over the next seven years, or that you'd be kind of this wearing away you know of these sort of I suppose character flat flaws or. Mm-hmm. Or are you yes. fine now? <laughs> well, I know that's a very dangerous thing to say. Um, Is there any room for improvement, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly improving and constantly looking at, at, at what I need to do and, and, and what would be better. Now, now, the thing where I'm working on at the moment is letting things get to me. Yeah, I can feel the tension 
inside myself if things happen and, and that's something I'm working on, uh, on at the moment I'm talking to people reading on the internet uh, and it has always been fine but now I'm at a stage like yeah that, that's something I want to work on and, and mindfulness is part of that actually and yeah, doing body scans every day just to calm myself down ease I, I can feel the tension in my neck and that, it, it's my stress and then the stress isn't something that that exists like the microphone here in front of me stress is something we create within our ears and it's, it's how we um, how we respond to situations and I can see that, that I, I build up tension in my body and it's holding me back and and for now that's something I'm working at on a daily basis yeah yeah one thing someone told me years ago about this journey is that the road gets narrower. Is that is that your experience? So that, you know, and I think you know the way he meant by it is that you know it's like your behaviours, things that you like you sort of said a minute ago. You know you wouldn't really have been aware of this problem maybe a few years ago, but now it's becoming more on your radar. And it's not necessarily that it wasn't there; it's just that now it's there. And so is that your experience that you know you. It just gets narrow and narrow the thing, you know, this kind of maybe column defects if you want that we can get away with. I totally agree with that one actually, yeah. Well, what you do in the beginning might be enough in the beginning, but it won't be enough if you still do that after years of sobriety. It, it needs to um, step up, it, it's a road of self improvement, it's a journey of learning, it's, it's very enjoyable actually because. Although it's difficult, I'm much more coachable at the moment. I'm much more able to listen, learn, take things on board, evaluate, analyze, and then set out goals and see where I want to go to and asking advice and stuff. It's, it's very different from the beginning and it totally narrows the road. It, it's, it's really good. And, but I think, although in the beginning it's really scary, and then it feels like walking on thin ice, it, it's difficult and constantly getting out of my comfort zone just because I wanted to get well. Um, I can really see the benefits it had over time. And that leads us actually to the next question. You know, you've, you've kind of answered it, but you know, what would you say to somebody kind of at the beginning of this journey in regards to this transformation? Because as you said, it's not going to be scary and... I always support it with calming and soothing talk mm. um, because it can be seen as so overwhelming for people who are in early recovery so I tell them to calm down everything will be okay we're going to work it all out and, and we're going to do it step by step and, and I explain to them like, like in essence every single client is a good person the thing is their behaviour sucks it's not helping them in any way to, to live a successful life. And they can keep all the good parts, of course. They can keep all the good parts. Everything that's helping them, keep it. It's helping you. Everything that's not helping you, put it on the table and we're going to see uh, what we can do to help you forward. And that we do that with like elephant eating. Eh? It's like you can't eat an elephant in one go, but one bite at a time, we can do it. So I let them put... We put all the problems on the table, all the issues, and one by one, we're going to see what's going to help them forward. Because every problem... Just to be clear, we, we won't be serving elephant, I hope. I <laughs> 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 can't do that. It would be a huge uh, thing. But, um, yeah, every problem has a solution. 
every problem has a way out and, and the individual client, we help them to find their way out and step by step. Just to finish off, I'm going to sort of put you on the spot here. Uh, um, is there, has there been any resources, like books or anything, that you feel was really helpful in the beginning? CBT for dummies. Brilliant. No doubt about it. It's a brilliant book because I am... And did you read that at the beginning? Of, like, so as soon as you got clean, was that, was that around? I, I like read it other? a bit later, but right. I should have read it in the beginning. Um, after I did, I did 25 weeks inpatient, and after that I did six months uh, outpatient REBT, and that's like, like that was the, the early CBT. So that's when I started learning about it, and the book CBT for Dummies I, I read later. And as I, when I was an addict, and, and probably the person who is listening now uh, to this podcast might identify with it, uh, we always try to change people and the world and, and all those things in order to feel good. If if my father would change or would talk different to me, I would be okay. If my job would, if my boss would be nice to me, I would be okay. I and mean, we try to think that. But in in especially that CBT book, you learn like, hey, it's not the world; it's my perception of the world that causes my feelings and behavior. And my feelings can be helpful and unhelpful, and my behavior can be constructive or destructive. And when people see that that it's their thinking process that's causing all the feelings and behavior instead of those people causing all the feelings and behavior. That's a huge door that opens and it helps people, or it helps me enormously to deal different with situations. Because when you start realizing it's not that person that upsets me, it's my response to the situation that upsets me, that gave me an enormous amount of empowerment to be able to deal with situations in a healthier way. Of course, way. yeah. And that's why I, I say to clients, you know, if the problem is the world, I mean, rehab isn't going to really help you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, the good news is that it is us, you know, that we are, you know, as you say, you know, a perception, our way of kind of dealing with things, that thankfully that's the problem. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's really good, and I'll, I'll link to that book in the in the show notes. That that's been fantastic, Hank. Um, any closing words or um, any closing words? Um, well, getting off alcohol and drugs is the best thing I've ever done for myself. And and you, and you can sort of see that you can sort of see that transformation. In you. 